0: Hello, and welcome to Health Views with Deb Friesen, M.D., a podcast about health and wellness within today's healthcare landscape. I'm your host, Dr. Deb Friesen with Kaiser Permanente, and I've been working in healthcare for over 20 years. During that time, I've learned that the most powerful tool for healing is the power of listening and the value of asking the right questions. Come join me as we'll together explore timely topics that impact people, businesses, and communities. Now let's check out today's view. Hello everyone, I'm very excited to announce that this February interview is our 20th Health Fuse episode. I want to personally thank all of you, our listeners, who support and inspire us as we release monthly health and wellness episodes that matter. I look forward to releasing our next 20 and expanding the reach of these meaningful conversations to more audiences. For this 20th episode, I'm pleased to have Kaiser Permanente's E.J. Enu Udeziunwosu, Vice President of Performance and Impact. During this insightful discussion, we cover why it's so important for Kaiser Permanente to address environmental justice, social equity, and economic prosperity through our impact spending work. Also, we highlight how small decisions can make a difference to drive healthier communities by choosing sustainable options when buying products from a diverse supplier and even when ordering food at a restaurant. EJ says every individual has a part to play, no matter what you are doing. Challenge yourself to make a difference. EJ, when I think about the work that you do, I have a hard time separating it out from the person you are. And I think that your own personal journey to this place is very informative and relevant. So if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about your own journey. That's a
1: loaded question. What part do you want me to start at and where do you want to go?
0: Well, this is the fun about it. Is it's like you get to decide. And so it's up to you.
1: So I think a couple of parts. And once, you know, just thank you again for for having me today. I'm looking forward to a very fun conversation with you today. So well, let's start from the very beginning. My story has been an evolution and a journey. When I was born, my mother was pregnant with me and she and my father were visiting in Nigeria. We're visiting family. And they were coming back. My father is a professor. He was, you know, going back to teach the new semester. And it, the change of plane was in the UK. And they looked at my mother and told her she was too pregnant to get on the plane, and they wouldn't let her board. But my father had to go back, and he was with my older sister. So my father and my older sister, who's older than me by about two and a half years, went back to the states. And my mother stayed in London with friends and she ended up having me in London and we stayed there for almost a year. So my parents lived as single parents. This was pre-internet, pre-cell phone, pre all of those things, but they lived as single parents basically for a year.
0: So the airline company was right. She was too pregnant to fly. She,
1: I mean, it was about another week, first week or 10 days before I came. But yes, she was, you know, she was right on the edge.
0: Oh, that's so amazing. So you're a UK citizen by virtue of birth. And- I
1: am. I'm a UK citizen, a Nigerian citizen by virtue of yeah. family and a US citizen by, by virtue of choice. So...
0: So separated from your father and your sister for your first year. Mm-hmm.
1: For my first year. But thus my name. So Ichenu, which is my first name, means the journey of
0: life. Oh, so that's I love life. that. I did not so understand everything that. Has a,
1: that's what I'm saying. Everything has a story. So with me and life and all things, everything has a meaning and a purpose and a cause. There's a reason or there's something spoken to it. So that, you know, that was my entry journey. Yes. <laughs> right? yes. And so my life has been the journey of life. Actually, my middle name means what's ahead of you is greater than where you are today. So everything is about kind of looking to the future, planning for the future, being better for things to come.
0: Was that name a challenge? Was it a destiny? Was it a burden?
1: I think it was, I choose for it. It could have been a burden. I choose for it not to be. I think it's been a challenge and a destiny. It's been a calling is what it's been. And part of it is you have to enjoy this journey of life because it's a journey. There's no, you know, what's going to happen. Some days you cry, some days you laugh, some days you are completely, completely effective. Some days you flop and it's all part of the journey.
0: Love it. So you were able to rejoin your father or join your father. In your case, you were able to meet this man who is your father by coming to the States.
1: By coming to the States, which is wonderful. But I have to tell you, so. In the UK, best friends of my parents who were engaged at the time is who we stayed with. Well, they since married, you know, also, you know, what, 45, 50 years into marriage. And those are my godparents. So, you know, the journey the, and they, everyone ended up in the U.S.
0: I love <laughs> so, that. I love that. And what was your father a professor of?
1: So African, European, medieval history.
0: Fascinating. All of them. Okay. So grew up in a home where intellectually, I'm sure you were always being nourished, but also challenged.
1: A hundred percent challenged. And I am, you know, I'm the immigrant story. You know, I'm first generation in this country. Both of my parents migrated from Nigeria. They actually met in Minnesota, go figure. And so that has, you know, that's kind of been that, that unifying force and their expectations, especially around education and about, you know, doing better, good enough is never good enough. You know, I was the child who, you know, we we don't do the trophies for participation. That's that's, (laughs)
0: that's, that's not what we, that's not what we're about. Yep. I hear you.
1: Nope. That's not our life. So it was really, it was constantly a push and it was hard, but it was our reality. You know, it was, I'd come home. Oh, I got a 95 on my test. You know, they said, well, did the person who got the hundred have two heads? You know, (laughs) right. That's just so wrong. (laughs) But it was you you, and it's funny saying it now and people are like, that's so hard. But it was that was part of the drive. It was part of the, you know, the bar for, you know, the bar for us. And the expectation was you had to go harder. You had to work harder. You had to deliver more. You had to be better than the best. And so that that has always, you know, that was part of the drive. The other thing I was going to say is, and part of that is, and it's not about you, right? Because for my, it was everything that they did was about family, not just the immediate family, but the family back home. So it was, we have to do this because we need to take care of this person, this person, this person. We're constantly, you know, bringing over people. You know, my father put so many people through university, right? And he bring sponsor them, bring them over and put them through university because it's one thing. It's great if they, you know, were able to come and, you know, live the American dream, but it's a whole different thing to have other people, you know, live it for themselves. You know, that, that, that adage of, I I, I would rather teach you to
0: fish, right? Absolutely. And again, that sense of community is very much, again, what you do right now in a very impactful way. So, no one like grows up wanting to be the vice president of impact spending and all this kind of stuff. So what was your dream as a child?
1: So, I was going to I had multiple, right? So number 1 I was going to be Debbie Allen. <laughs> I was going to be Yes, awesome. I was that, that shout out to Debbie Allen. I was going to be, you know, because she was a dancer, singer, actress, the whole, you know, that was that was, you know, dream passion. I wanted to be Debbie Allen. And, you know, at the same time, I wanted, it was so funny. I was like, I want to be, I wanted to be a financial planner. I didn't know what that meant. I just knew that it had financial planner and they always knew what to do with their money. And so you would always make sure that there was enough. I think on a news program, when I was little, I saw something and they were like, a financial planner will never go without. So I was like, I'm going to be a financial planner. (laughs) So I was going to be Debbie Allen by day and a financial planner by night.
0: Well, and even that choice, you can see maybe even as an immigrant where, you know what, you had to work so hard. And here we're going to make sure that we don't have to continue working this hard. So many hardworking people are still poor people. and, And how is it that you actually help them rise above? And so you start your career somewhere in there. You are making waves. You're making impressions. I saw that you were like 40 under 40. You were part of that up-and-coming, ambitious group, and you landed at Kaiser Permanente. How did your path develop through that journey?
1: Again, nothing happens by coincidence or by chance. I was finishing up at UC Berkeley, go Bears, and we, I had a really dear friend whose stepmother worked for Kaiser Permanente. Now, rewind, my mother actually worked for Kaiser Permanente for almost 15 years in Southern California uh, she, in, on the clinical side, though. She was a clinical dietitian and nutritionist, so, you know, kind of grew up yeah. in Kaiserland. But this opportunity, you know, she said, oh, well, we're hiring. It's a new department. It's an internal consulting group. I didn't know what that meant. She's like, well, we need, you know, we need smart people to help solve problems okay, well, I'm smart and I can solve problems. So so (laughs) you applied. Awesome. I, I applied. And literally the person who I interviewed with was also a UC Berkeley alum. And we had a two and a half hour conversation of which I don't really recall it being an interview, right? There wasn't, we just literally talked, realized that was my first kind of and that was my first interview that was really around just let's learn about you as opposed to let's let's fix you into a role.
0: What you can do for us.
1: Exactly. And so at the end of the, at the end of this two and a half hours of this great conversation, she says, OK, well, can you start next Monday? And I said, well, you start do, doing what? <laughs> That's weird, Right. But that was really my entree into. And I took, you know, I, I took a leap of faith and it was you know let's let let's do this let's figure it out
0: and it seems to have worked out for i hope you but certainly for us so let's talk about what you're doing right now because i i hear all of those elements in your past that inform what you are all about now in the enterprise business services kind of line of of what we do and let's start with with kind of what you see your work as being right now
1: so I would say that my work is really around, and this is the core of who I am, which starts from the story from earlier, but we are driving business and social value for Kaiser Permanente and within the communities that we serve. That is what we do. We focus internally and we focus externally. So what does that mean and what does that look like? On the performance side, we're really focused on, okay. So how are we anticipating making sure that the business and the shared services functions are really aligned and driving ultimately to make sure that our, the folks who deliver care can do that seamlessly? So taking the, the headache off of all of the other additional functions that are there so that they can focus on care delivery and do that in a manner that is seamless, that is affordable, <laughs> and, you know, a, is it relieves the burden for our care delivery colleagues. So that's our intern.
0: That in and of itself is a little bit of a different twist on what I thought you were all about and what your role was about. And I love that angle of it having been in care delivery, which is to say, to be enabled to do my job seamlessly, which I thank you for. I didn't know I was thanking you for that. <laughs> It does make such a difference in your day, in your week, in your year, in your career, right? When things go smoothly, that's bandwidth that doesn't have to be spent somewhere else. Exactly. That's the joy of connection versus the frustration of delays or, you know, other, other and things. bureaucracy.
1: Yes. And all of those. Exactly. Yes.
0: And so that's part of, I think, kind of the special sauce of care delivery is when that works well. So kudos to you for, for leading that work.
1: And it's kudos to the team. I mean, there is a group of people who are really dedicated to, you know, when you think about the person who's running IT or HR services or security, you don't really think about, oh, that's core to care delivery, right? but it is.
0: It is. It really is. All of
1: those functions are core. Without those functions, we can't operate. We can't deliver the care that needs to be delivered. It all works together in tandem. So that's one side. And then the impact side is, okay. So as this, you know, multi-billion dollar corporation how do we make sure that we are leveraging our economic power, political power, all of those above to really drive impact in the communities that we serve, right? So what does that look like? That looks like supplier diversity and inclusion. That looks like community and economic impact and supports. That looks like sustainability. And the thing that people don't think a lot about There is a core linkage between environmental justice, social justice and equity, political, economic. All of those things are linked together. And so the most disadvantaged communities are disadvantaged in all of those aspects racially, environmentally, socially, economically.
0: And I think that. What we're learning so much right now and what I see even so many companies really evolving and developing into is the understanding that to the extent that we are all as healthy as we can be, we then support the health, whether that be financial, mission-driven, all of these things. Health isn't what happens inside an exam room with your doctor. It's it's a little bit, right? I it's a little bit. Right. But it's, it's really when we are healthy companies, when we are healthy communities, when we have clean air to breathe, when we have that job that's going to be there for a long time, the sustainability, that's actually what makes all of us healthy together. So that's, well,
1: It's the so what. Yes. It's the so what. So the impact part of my role, which is why I'm so passionate about it, is it is the so what, right? Okay, you can have healthy community. Oh, you can have this. Oh, you know, we'll work on the environment. Oh, but Why? Because at the end of the day, it's creating healthier individuals, creating healthier communities that are living healthier and longer lives. And that's what it's all about at the end of the day.
0: More good days, more healthy days. Absolutely. exactly. Going back to your comments about this journey that we're on and and living it together with both physical, mental, emotional, financial, community, work health. It makes us all better. So why did it take so long for us to understand this? Did we not understand it? Did we not put it into practice? I know that it's been part of Kaiser Permanente's DNA for a long time. We even go back to the 80s when we were looking at diversity and investment and those kinds of things. Why is this such a thing that's being talked about now? Why, did, why does it seem to matter more now than ever?
1: So I, I think it's a double-edged sword. One, I think it's actually just, you know, it's being brought to the light more. And especially as a result of the last few years of, you know, in the U.S. Between, you know, COVID, between all of the racial and social unrest that's gone on, all of these efforts are being amplified. There's now an opportunity. There's a light that's being shed there. I think the the beauty of it is there have been a lot of us who have been in the trenches of this long before it was in the light. So now, you know, it's pretty, there are lights on, there are what have you, there are showcases. And I, I continue to urge people, you know, that's beautiful, but this is not about checking the boxes. I'm glad that so many more people are engaged. But this isn't about checking the box and saying, oh, yes, we ESG, because that's, you know, the the hot topic flavor of the season. Right. So we're going to jump into this. This is really around the why. And, you know, if you don't get behind the why you're doing these efforts, it really is meaningless.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So as I was looking at your work, trying to dive deeper myself, it seemed to me that there were kind of three basic pillars or maybe three pieces of the stool. You can't sit on this stool without the three different pieces that support it, which are supplier diversity and inclusion, sustainability, and economic impact. And I want to start with a third thing first, because I think that there might be a perception that when we're trying to quote unquote, do all of this good, right? That it's actually going to cost more money. And it's an investment. How is it that you think about, is this a worthwhile investment? I mean, we have our morals, we have our missions, we are human beings to each other. But also we live in a place that actually we have to do business in order to survive. And so how is it that we think about economic impact of this work and it making sense to people? Um, It's a
1: great question, and I think we have to look at it through two lenses. There is economic impact externally and economic impact internally, right? And the point of impact spending is that we're driving impact with every dollar that we spend. That's really the, the going mantra, right? And so when you think about economic impact, let's look externally facing. That means that we are spending in the communities that we represent. We are cultivating businesses and practices in the communities that we sit in. That means that we are driving sustainable practices, including, you know, encouraging and making sure that there are safer products. That means products that don't have key chemicals of concern that we are purchasing. And we're purchasing, we try to, in the communities which we live and serve in. Right, and so that's sort of the, the the continuous will and continuous cycle, and also the economic impact piece externally is, you know, our organization can't spend its way to the prosperity of the communities that we serve. So it's also around how do we leverage our scale and our voice to create impact beyond our walls? What are those partnerships? What are those, you know, uh, the those alignments with other organizations? So, that we are exponentially increasing our impact in those communities.
0: Can you give me an example of what that looks like?
1: Sure. So, one thing we have done there is an organization called the Healthcare Anchor Network. And the Healthcare Anchor Network is a conglomeration of multiple health systems across the country. We're working with the Healthcare Anchor Network to drive an impact purchasing commitment. What does that mean? It means that we have multiple organizations across the healthcare spectrum who are saying we are collectively going to commit to spending billions of dollars with diverse suppliers. We're going to collectively focus on purchasing safer products, products without chemicals of concern. We're going to collectively focus on developing businesses, smaller businesses within our footprint so that they can grow, so that they're able to take on the business of the large institutions that are around and the other anchor anchor institutions that are around. This is around, we have partnered together, right, as a collective to say, let's, you know, focus on, you know, this journey to net zero and net zero greenhouse gas emissions by a certain time. So it's those sort of things. That's an example of, it's not just Kaiser Permanente. We're partnering with other organizations to say, Let's all have skin in the game to increase the health, the overall health and wellness of our communities.
0: I love that because it really does take a village. It takes those partnerships in that, in that world. So you mentioned greenhouse gases. I'm going to take us to another pillar, which is sustainability. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily business sustainability that we're talking about here, is it? So, so what is that pillar all about?
1: Our overarching focus is around, you know, when you think about us spending billions of dollars annually, right, on products and services. So this is, you know, we're going to focus on the impact spending portion of this. We make sure, like we are ensuring that our spending decisions are environmentally sound, economically viable, and socially equitable, right? And think about that because all of those are improving health by improving the economic well-being of the communities that we serve. So when you think about the environmental pillar, you're thinking about decarbonization, safer products, waste reduction, sustainable foods, you know, and then there's intersections. There's like the health and safety aspect, environmental justice. All of those fall into that pillar of the environment and sustainability. You know, we, we want to reduce the carbon footprint of our supply chain. We really want to reduce the carbon footprint of healthcare.
0: One example that I'll even share that I learned when I was at our West facility, and they were talking actually about our food for our inpatient hospitals, and it's on demand. So people will get their menu or pick up the phone or, you know, put it in, and they order on demand based on the, the menu, the diet that's been recommended to them by someone like your mother, the dietitian, and they reduced their food waste by something like, because people got to pick out what they wanted to eat and how much they were hungry for rather than it being prepared in a central place, put on, and then dashed down the hall. And so, even those kinds of innovative solutions make such a difference when it comes to what we're spending on it and then the avoidance of waste.
1: Exactly. And think about that. That's not only so when we go back to the internal facing economic aspect of this, right? Guess what? You have now increased satisfaction. You've decreased costs because you've taken that waste out of the system. So it's a win-win-win across the board. And that's how we need to start thinking about this. Like, what is the, you know, people, profit, planet? We got to think about all of those things together, you know, and one does not supersede the other. We don't do all these things at the expense of costs because at the end of the day, we have to drive affordability. That is the undercurrent to everything that we're doing. And driving that affordability with our potential suppliers and partner organizations is, you know, a cornerstone of how we're able to do what we're
0: doing. Absolutely. And it's much more affordable to be healthy than it is to be unhealthy and have to spend that on health care. A hundred percent. Yeah. The third pillar is supplier diversity and inclusion. And as I, and I think that in a way really speaks for itself and isn't a brand new idea. But one of the things that really struck my interest was the fact of measuring, tracking and reporting the data. You know, when we think of care delivery, it's evidence-based, right? We want to make sure that we are giving the best care based on all the evidence, which means you have to measure, track and report data in that aspect. And so I love that the work that you're doing is also evidence-based. Can you talk to me about that a little bit?
1: Well, so I think it starts with the pillars and what is the undercurrent of why, again, goes back to the why. We're providing the opportunity for small and diverse businesses to be included in our contracting and subcontracting activities, both for us and for other, you know, institutions in, um, you know, across the nation. And so when we think about this, we're thinking about addressing systemic racism, where undercurrent is building inclusive and local economies, and then also, quite frankly, complying with federal requirements. All of those things come together to build our, you know, supplier diversity and inclusivity agenda for the organization. And, you know, you pay attention and you measure what matters. And so it's one thing to say, oh, you know, we're spending a lot of money here, but let's really get into the root of what are we spending with and tracking what we're spending with organizations that are at least 51% owned by a diverse group, be that racially diverse women, LGBTQI, veterans, disabled. Those are some of the categories when you talk about what constitutes a diverse vendor. But that vendor or that supplier has to be at least 51% owned by a diverse group. So that's stage one. And then once you get past that kind of level setting, we document, you know, we take the whole picture of just diverse men, but we really delve into their geography as well. Are you actually in the footprint of the organization? How much are we actually spending with diverse and small businesses within our footprint as well? Because if we're driving local economies, part of that is by spending with businesses in those local economies because quite frankly when you spend with the business they're able to hire more people from the community within that proximity and a lot of times now have access to health care and all of those things are driving people into the front door rather than the back door of the healthcare care system i love how it just overall healthier communities exactly it just cascades
0: it definitely mm-hmm. cascades This one investment and looking at where they are and how they're operating and who they're hiring. I mean, it just cascades for that community to make it more successful as well. And again, if that community is successful, they're buying things from other people in the community. They're helping. It just it just becomes a virtuous cycle, which I love to see and think about.
1: It's amazing. And shout out to, you know, my data and analytics team, which is a small and mighty group. But they have been able to create a system where you can actually look by cost center where your dollars are going. How many of them are going to diverse? How many are going to mainstream? What geography you're spending within by your cost center number?
0: Wow. And I know that when we think of a person's health, that their zip code is probably more important than their genetic code, right? And so when we think of the health of our communities and the businesses that we partner with, their zip codes matter a lot as well.
1: A hundred percent. That's what I'm talking about. You can't separate, all of these pieces are interconnected. So part of what we try to do is really make sure we are looking at that interconnected picture. And then what's the so what? I'll give you another example that people wouldn't think about in terms of why would your organization get involved in this piece of it? Because it's around community and economic impact. So there are many diverse suppliers, right? And I also want to, to bust a myth open right now. People think that, you know, diverse suppliers, you automatically think small. There are multi-billion dollar diverse suppliers out there. Yes, there are also small ones and we want to be able to touch the spectrum, but please (laughs) know this and know this well. When we're talking about diverse suppliers, this is not charity care. This is not social programs. This is around sharing and spreading the wealth so that we are driving health in our communities. And that can be with the multi-billion dollar diverse company or with the mom and pop shop. So I just need to, you know, give that disclaimer. I love that you
0: provided that clarification because I think that there is kind of an idea that we carry in our head that it's just the little mom and pop shop around the corner instead of realizing, again, the diversity that already exists in highly successful, huge companies that are national providers. So thank you for that.
1: Exactly, exactly. So, you know, let's let's take this example. You know, you have these organizations. Let's pick, you know, Cindy's Fruitery. I just made it up, right? So Cindy's Fruitery, diverse owned business, you know, they $2 billion in revenue a year, right? Well, the owner of Cindy, the owner is exhausted. She's been doing this business for, you know, 30 years at the helm. She's raised her children who have now gone into different industries and aren't, you know really interested in taking over the business, and she's ready to retire. So Cindy can sell to, you know, another big organization who would be hungry to get her business because it's so successful, right? And now you've now lost the pool of this being a diverse-owned business. Well, we said, well, what if we look into other models of wealth creation? And one of those, so there's a member of my team who said, let's look at employee-owned cooperatives. So we have worked now with some, you know, with some diverse business owners to turn their businesses into employee owned models so that then when they retire, the business turns over to the employees. Love it. Right. So you think about why is that something that we would be interested in as a health organization or as a health system? Well, at the end of the day, because it's about the circle, it's about that circle of life. And so we're talking about bridging the health and wealth gap in our communities because that's driving grander health. And so why not? This is another window to look through.
0: I love that. And just thinking about, again, when you're an owner, you're invested, right? You look at it differently as far as yes. the success of the company, the ideas that you bring, the passion yes. and energy into all of that. So it, it goes on to continue to be a successful company with that kind of both emotional and financial investment by the people who work there. I love that example.
1: A hundred percent. And when you think about it, we've been at this for a while and we have a threshold now where we will not spend under $2 billion a year with diverse companies. Yes, I said B, billion with a B, right? and that's a big number but there's so much more that we can do and how do we think about you know getting to that next level where you are really not just with the big diverse suppliers but you're really getting in and being able to leverage some of those mid-sized diverse suppliers within the various markets to the work that needs to be done you know it's really when you think about supplier diversity and inclusion It's about spending some of that money with suppliers owned by, as well as made up of employees who represent the diversity of the people that we serve.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I know that Kaiser Permanente tries and does walk that talk as well. So, so many things that you have going on for someone who's listening today, what would be a takeaway or two or three that you would say, you know what? As an individual, maybe as a business owner, or maybe as part of an executive team or even just a company that cares, what is it that they can do when it comes to impact spending?
1: The number one thing I would say is it is not them, it is you. Every single individual has a part to play, and there's something that you can do. If it is making the call of when you are ordering food that you're choosing to order from a diverse organization, If you are a decision maker, you make sure that you're asking the question about, is there a sustainable option for what we're doing? Is this an environmentally friendly purchase that we are making? Ask the question. Ask the question about waste. How are you looking at waste? How are you disposing of things? How are you having the conversations within your own teams? We each have onus of, this is about our planet. This is about the future of our lives. As you know, I have eight month old twin girls. So this is now, you know, this is no longer just a passion. This is a cause.
0: Yeah, it's this world is what we're borrowing from our children, right? And so how do we turn it over to them in a way that we can be proud of? Exactly. I love
1: that. And so think about every single individual person has a connection, be it you know, your personal family, be it the community that you're sitting at, be it your neighbor, be it your colleague. There is someone out there who is going to benefit from our behavior being different. And so what's the part that you can play in driving that? Be intentional about it and be bold about it.
0: Yeah, I love this. I am inspired. Your passion is obvious and evident. Are there any questions that you wish I would have asked of you? Oh,
1: that's a great question. I think probably a question, and you asked a a bit of it, is why don't more people care?
0: So why don't more people care?
1: Well, I'm glad you asked that question because it's hard. This is hard. It is hard work. It takes time. It takes discipline. It takes focus. And it's easier to go with the status quo, quite frankly. And we have so many demands on us as individuals, as professionals, as parents, as caregivers, as humans, that you have to make your choices to what do you want to be hard. And so I, you know, I would encourage that this is a good heart. This is a good fight to fight.
0: I love that. And by way of kind of offering what I've learned from other interviewers, specifically this one, BJ Fogg and tiny habits. One way to make things not be so hard is to make them into a habit. So when I am going to order food, then I will think of a small business owner that practiced diversity, right? So just making it part of who we are, it removes that bandwidth, that mind energy that we have to have. And it becomes a part of us and who we are. The hard part is I think is just starting. And so I would just encourage everyone to start. Just like you said today, we all have a difference to make. We all have something to contribute, even if it's just how we spend our lunch money today. And we can have an impact in our spending as well. EJ, thank you so much for being you, for the light that you shine in the world, for the work that you are leading, and for the future that you're creating. I have really enjoyed our conversation.
1: Thank you so much, and if you would indulge me, I would love to leave you with with a quote that I now put on you know, a lot of things that I send out, and it's by Ban Ki-moon, and the quote is simply, saving our planet, lifting people out of poverty, advancing economic growth. These are one and the same fight. We must connect the dots between climate change, water scarcity, energy shortages, global health, food security, and women's empowerment. Solutions to one problem must be solutions for all.
0: I love that. Thank you. Thanks to my guests for joining me today, and thank you for listening to the Health Fuse podcast with Deb Friesen MD. I hope you'll share this episode with colleagues, friends, and family members who are interested in diving deeper into meaningful and relevant health and wellness topics. I look forward to the next conversation and we'll share another episode of Health Views with you soon. Take good care. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. The discussion reflects the opinions of the speakers and is not intended to represent Kaiser Permanente policy. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. The content is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information is at the listener's own risk. Listeners should not disregard or delay obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their medical professionals.